God has a lot for you in a passage that we're going to read in Ephesians today. Turn to Ephesians 2. I'll jump around, share a lot of scripture, but just stick at Ephesians 2. I want you to absorb it. I want you to live there for the next bit of time here. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart because I think he's going to have something special for you. So you might forget points. You might forget references. You might forget illustrations. I really don't care if you forget all that stuff. What I want you to get is what God has for you in this. So as I speak, I want you to be willing and open to let the Holy Spirit minister to you. And as He works in your heart, don't forget that, okay? Let that stick. So if you only remember one or two things, that's fine, as long as it's the one or two things that the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart today. So don't forget that. And I wanted to just start by saying this message is... Pentecost in a verse, so to say. We're talking about new beginnings. We're talking about something new that God has done. In the Old Testament, God instituted in Leviticus 23 the Festival of Weeks, and that was the Old Testament version of Pentecost, right? And this is the Jews believed when God gave Moses the Torah on Sinai. And so they were celebrating God giving them the first covenant, the Old Testament, the law. And that's how they lived. And in the New Testament, we see a celebration of the New Covenant at Pentecost. Uh, God doesn't live in temples made by human hands anymore. He lives in you. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit comes and makes His temple in you, right? We don't make it to God by fulfilling the law. The law was a big requirement in the old, but now in the new, we are saved by grace through faith. There is this radical new thing that happened that came with Jesus and that was that was set in motion, the kickoff, on the day of Pentecost. And that was something extremely, extremely special. It had been looked forward to throughout the old, celebrated by the Jews. And now in Jesus' time, it had come to fulfillment. And it was celebrated again. Uh, it was something very special. And right there on that day, we, we read about it, but there were changed lives, right? There were 3,000 on that day that came to Christ. And, and it was, if you read... Craig just read it to us, but if I'm counting right, there are people from 15 destinations there that day. So this was the kickoff. In Acts 1.8, he said, wait until you receive power. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That began that day. In fact, remember in Romans, Paul longs to see the Romans. He'd never seen them yet. He, a lot of the letters he wrote, he wrote to churches that he'd seen, that he'd met, that he'd even started. But the Romans, he'd never been there before. But most people believe that church in Rome was launched on Pentecost. There were people from that city there that heard the gospel. They came to believe and they went back and started that church. So the Holy Spirit did something incredible that day. He changed lives. People went from being trash to masterpieces. And from that day they went out with a mission, that Acts 1-8, going into all the world. Uh, so we're going to focus on Ephesians 2. 10 2 10 and in this one little verse we see so much I want to kind of back up and, and tell you a little bit about Ephesus the Ephesians were exactly what's being talked about here they went from trash to, to masterpieces Ephesus is where the Artemis cult was based if you read in Acts 18 you're gonna see great is Artemis of the Ephesians right they're writing they're trying to kill Paul and the followers this was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis. This was a female deity 
It was idolatry and immorality to the max. They worshipped this female deity who was served by female priestesses, who were served by castrated males. Uh, there was all sorts of immorality going on in that culture and in that context. And in the middle of it all, there was a society that had been plagued by idolatry and immorality and they'd been changed, right? In fact, uh, the, the scrolls, remember it talks about the scrolls that they burned in Ephesus that day? The scrolls that they burned, the, the scrolls that the converts had burned that had all the old idolatrous ways in them. Uh, I think it says 50,000 drachmas or something like that. But the value of that today would be in the millions of dollars. These people were radically changed. They didn't say, hey, I'm going to go sell my old sinful stuff and make some money. They burned it. They said, enough of that. It's done. It's behind us, right? The entire economy of Ephesus was changed. The people that had been selling idols, little figurines of Artemis. And by the way, you can, they have these today. Archaeologists have numerous of these old figurines that we read about in Acts that you can even buy. Uh, these old artifacts, the, the artisans that made them were losing business because people were converting to Christianity. Uh, God was doing here what we saw on Pentecost. People that were sinners being transformed, being changed, being renewed. They used to be going that way, now they're going this way. And it's not just because they're muscling it up on their own. It's because the Holy Spirit had come into their life and He was changing them from the inside out. Right? This is the background to Ephesus. Now Paul writes to the Ephesians to remind them of a few things. Right? And in, in verse 10, he's, he basically tells us three points that I want you to get. Uh, that there is a master. Right? Starts by saying you're his. Right? That you're a masterpiece, you're his work, you're his creation, that you have a mission. So a master, a masterpiece, and a mission. So we're going to read in Ephesians 2.10, but just to put it in a little bit of context, I want to start in verse 8. Tyrone, you got a Bible open, you got a big, bold voice. Could you read 8 through 10 for us? Sure. And belt it out. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Amen. Right, you were saved by grace through faith, not by your works. So there came a day, I hope, in your lives when you realized, I need Jesus. And I'll tell you a little bit about that day in my life in a minute. And he came into your life and changed you, right? He made you new. And now he wants to live his life through you. And you cannot do that. You, you, you just simply cannot muscle it up. You don't have it in you to live the life that he's called you to. You don't. You just can't do it. Dylan, you're a great guy. You're a good surfer. You're an amazing cook. But you can't be Jesus, <laughs> right? You just simply can't. Steve, I love your friendliness and your <laughs> kindness, but uh, when it comes to being Jesus, you don't have what it takes. <laughs> you're, you're far from him. And Craig, you're amazing. I love you, dear brother. Spent a lot of time with Craig, but he's surely, I am 100% convinced, not Jesus. <laughs> okay? But somehow he wants to live his life through you. He wants the people around you to look at you and see Jesus. He wants the people around you to look at Roy and go, that looks like Jesus, right? 
And that doesn't happen outside of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So the master, the masterpiece, and the mission. As we launch into this, I just I want you to get something that I think is true. I don't think there are two more important questions than these two. One is, how do you view God? And two is, how do you view yourself? If you get either of those messed up, you're going to be messed up, right? So how do you view God? How do you view yourself, right? And we, we're going to get those straightened out today, right now. So first is the master. How do you view God? Uh, his, in this verse, I'm not a Greek guy. Uh, I've, that's just not me. But when I have read about this passage, they say the his is prominent in this, this verse. That's the first thing that, it, that sticks out. It's like his you are, right? So that's the thing that's the leading emphasis here is you are his. Justin, you're his, right? He's the master, and we got to get that straight first. You're not just a guy that happens to follow a master. The master is yours. You're, it's, he is first. You're his, okay? And because you're his, it's important to start with that. And I want to put a name to it. You're not just a master's. You're not just God's, right? Lots of people believe in God. You're Jesus's, right? He's your master. He's your Lord. He's the one that said, all authority has been given to me. And that doesn't mean he didn't have authority beforehand, right? In John 17, it says that when he went to be with the Father, he was glorified again with the glory he already had. But when he came to this earth, he took on our humanity. And there was a time where he walked as a physical man on this planet when we didn't recognize the fullness of his deity. A lot of people didn't. But Colossians tells us in him dwells the fullness of deity. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. In John 1.1, we read clearly that Jesus is God. In John 20... Thomas calls him my Lord and my God, and he doesn't say, no, you, no, 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 I'm not God. <laughs> he doesn't say that, right? He admits it. All throughout Scripture, we see people praising and worshiping him. He never, the angel said, don't do that. Jesus never said, don't do that. He received that, right? He claimed to have power to forgive sins. Do you remember in Mark 2 when he says, your sins are forgiven? And what did they say? <gasps> Only God can forgive sins, right? And he goes, well, he didn't say, oh, I messed that up. I'm sorry. He said, I'm going to prove to you that I have that power. Stand up. He heals the man as a demonstration that he had the power to forgive sins. And he says that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on this earth. Right? He is God, the one with power to forgive sins. In the same chapter, several verses later, he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Who gave the Sabbath? God. And Jesus has the audacity to say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? You f we find the fulfillment of the Sabbath in Jesus. That rest that they've been looking forward to in the old, Jesus is the rest, Hebrews 4 tells us. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. It's in Him. Okay? You could go on and on, guys, but all throughout Scripture we see the reality that Jesus is God in human flesh. Matthew calls him that, Emmanuel, God with us, right? Uh, the, the Bible writers in the New Testament, they use a Greek word every time they translate the word Yahweh. Like when they quote an Old Testament verse that uses the word Yahweh for God, they use a Greek word to translate it. And they do this about 200 times. They use the Greek word kurios, which is translated Lord. 
they used the exact same word for Jesus about 700 times. You get it? They saw the Old Testament Yahweh and Jesus as synonymous. They didn't see any difference between the two. And Paul even says, in Romans 4, he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed is the man who sins the Lord does not count against them. And he uses Yahweh there in, the old, in Psalms. Paul translates it curios. Six chapters later, he says salvation begins with confessing Jesus as Lord. Kudios, same word, right? We need to get to the point of acknowledging Him as God. Not just a Savior, not just a Lord, not just a Master, but God incarnate that walked this earth. And He is our Master. And He loves you. He says this. He says, for God so loved the world, right? For God so loved Tyrone and Justin. There are a few of your names. Felix, that I... I need to mix it up. Raul, for God so loved Raul. He loves you. And he gave himself for you so that by believing in him, you could have eternal life and not perish. And he says he came to give you an abundant life with him throughout every day you live on this planet. That's not just an abundant life of luxurious homes. Today, Philip and I did a, a six-mile loop, and I've been running down and then back and down and back. And Philip says, why don't we just make it a loop and run up down there at the stoplight down there and then come back this way? So I was like, sure, let's do it. And we came up Camino Capistrano and I could not believe the homes. <laughs> They're just like castles, right? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. When Jesus talks about an abundant life, he's not saying, I'm going to give you a Camino Capistrano address, <laughs> right? He's not. He's saying, I'm going to give you a life of meaning and purpose where every single day you wake up and you know that there is a reason for you being here that will impact all of eternity. And every day you don't have to do it on your own because I'm going to live with you and empower you by my spirit so that you are a walking manifestation of me to every person that you see as you go about your day. That's a life of meaning and purpose that transcends any riches that this world has to offer, right? The view... Philip and I pulled over on that little Dana Point view right there with a the bench. I was awestruck by that view this morning. I mean, it was the view that people should see when they see you is better than that view, right? They should see a view that changes them because you're following the master. That's the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. One of meaning, one of purpose, one of intimacy with God. Before we were distant, now we're close to him and we can walk with him in intimacy every day. That's what he desires for you. See, your sin separates you from a perfect God. And Jesus is real clear that there is a real hell for all those that have not been forgiven for their sin. But then he came to this earth and he died for our sins. He took the punishment that I deserved and he took it on him. See, in the Bible we have something unique. We were talking to Muslims last week and they just say, yeah, if you do enough good, God will forgive you. Well, that's an unjust God. God can't just forgive you, okay? Let's get our theology straight. God can't just overlook sin. He can't just forgive sin and say, ah, it's okay. I mean, imagine the worst crime you've ever heard. Maybe a crime against a child or something like that. One of those crimes that just rips your heart out, okay? Now imagine the judge that just says, well, it's okay. Well, let's just forgive him because he, he's never had a speeding ticket before, so he's good to go, right? I mean, Michelle is very active with... Uh, the, the ministry to victims of human trafficking and trying to put an end to that. Could you imagine if a judge, they just did a big bust down in Dallas, right? 
in that area where they caught a bunch of perpetrators, rescued a bunch of women. How many perpetrators? Like 30 perpetrators and nine victims, I think, were rescued. What if the judge said all 30 are off the hook, right? Because they've all paid their taxes. <laughs> you think that's ridiculous. There has to be just uh, justice, right? <coughs> See, we serve a God that is just. He doesn't just overlook sin like maybe the Muslim view would be if you do enough good. He punishes sin and he punishes it on himself right? Mm. So every sin will be dealt with. Every sin. It's either going to be dealt with at the cross or in hell. <laughs> and thank God it doesn't have to be in hell Amen. for those that believe in Jesus. It's dealt with at the cross, right? right? So we come to him recognizing that he took the hit for us. Mm. Our good works just won't cut it. He said in Matthew 7, the best good works won't cut it. It's only by grace and through faith, which is the context of 2.10, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. Let me just, I don't want to go too long, but it's not by faith. My faith doesn't save me. I could have all the faith in the world that Santa Claus is real. It doesn't make Santa Claus real, right? Jesus saves me, but my faith in Jesus allows me to receive what only he can do. Do you get it? His grace saves me. My faith connects with that grace. I say yes to Jesus. He saves me, right? I could have all the faith in the world that Allah is God. That's not going to save me, right? Jesus is the Savior, but my faith in Him and in Him alone leads to salvation, okay? He's my master. He's God. He's Savior. He says He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. He's it. There's nothing else. To the Galatians, they're trying to add stuff to Jesus, right? Adding works, specifically Old Testament works saying you have to go back and do all this Old Testament stuff. And, and Paul was clear, if you're adding stuff to Jesus, you don't have Jesus. you got something different than Jesus, right? Paul was just uh, intense in how he criticized them for adding to Jesus. He's it, guys. He's it. There's nothing else. Hebrews says there's no other sacrifice. It's either him or nothing. Nothing else works. It's either him or nothing else. Remember that tax collector Jesus talks about in Luke 18 that just simply comes to Jesus and says, Be merciful on me, a sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified that day. Right? God's not asking for you to be perfect. He's asking you to submit to him as God and Savior and Lord, to trust him with whatever faith you have, to put it all in him and say, I'm yours. There's no other way. There's no other sacrifice. I'm trusting you. Right? And that's the starting point. That's where we start. But we've got to get that straight before anything else. A lot of you have taken that step. If you haven't, I beg you, take that step. I beg you, come to Jesus and say, I'm all in. You're mine. I'm yours. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. You're the only way. I need you desperately. Because none of the rest of the things I'm going to share with you matter until you get the master in his rightful place in your life. Right? Nothing else matters until the master is the master in your life. I remember when I was younger, having a lot of fear and sadness and doubt. Probably a lot of you have experienced that and many other terrible things. And those were very real feelings that really hurt deeply. And I was going to church with my family, but I didn't understand the message that I'm talking to you about. I remember the day that it finally clicked. For some reason, 
I think the Holy Spirit was helping me understand it, but I realized that I was a sinner that needed a Savior and that I needed to put my faith in Jesus alone, and I did it. I said, Jesus, I need you. Be merciful on me, a sinner, basically. And he changed me. My fear, he turned to boldness. My doubt to confidence and my sadness to authentic joy. He changed me. He's changed many of you too, right? Right. I, I see it in your lives. I see it in your smiles and your conversation. I'm not saying you're perfect because there's an ongoing work, right? There's sanctification that's a process. But he's changed you. He's justified you. He's come into your life. He saved you if you put your faith in him. And now he's transforming you into his very character. And here's the deal. As his children, you're his masterpieces. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship. You are God's creations. The New Living Translation says you are God's masterpieces. I like that word. The Greek word here is poema. What does that sound like? Poem. And that's actually where we get the word poem from. You get the point. You're God's poem. You're God's, you're God's uh, creation. This is the same word that's used in Romans 1.20 about God's creation. When I looked over that overlook today and saw that beautiful, beautiful vista, same thing. God created that and He created you, right? He created you, Arturo. He made you a masterpiece. You're not just some guy with some past. You're a masterpiece. And you remember I said the two big questions... Who's God? Who's who are you? You got to get this straight, because if, if you got to first start with that, who's God, right? Get that master thing figured out. But next, you got to know who you are, and you're gonna get all these fiery darts thrown at you every single day. You're nothing. Your past is too bad. You're a failure, right? What have you to show to for your life? You can't even pay your bills. Who are you? Nobody wants to be around you. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're not educated. You're not successful. I don't know what it is, but those are lies. You're a masterpiece. Not because of what you've done, but because of whose you are. You're the Lord's, and because of that, you are a masterpiece. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yes. Psalm 100, verse 3 said, It is God who has made us, not we ourselves. God's he's designing you 139 goes on and says you are wonderfully and fearfully made he's made you in a in an amazing way and fearfully doesn't mean you're afraid of it but it's all inspiring one one house that we ran by today they're in, in the middle of constructing it I don't know what word to describe that house with it was literally all inspiring what God is doing in your lives is more so it's more awe-inspiring than the greatest architectural feat you can imagine. Amsterdam. I, when you walk through Amsterdam, the canals, the streets, the beautiful homes, and then the new architecture that's springing up, it's awe-inspiring. I want to tell you what God is doing in your lives is even more so. You're His masterpiece, and He's doing something very special in your lives. And that's not just the adults. Maya is God's masterpiece. You're a beautiful expression of God. Eliana and Kara and Micah, you're his masterpieces. Aaron, my dear brother, he's God's masterpiece. Right? Rachel, all you guys 
are God's masterpieces. He's doing something special in your lives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that day by day by day, He's transforming you into His very image. You're looking a little more like Jesus every day. Little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. In fact, it, it uses a word there in the Greek, metamorpho, which is where we get what word from? Metamorphosis, which is like a butterfly, right? I just saw one floating around a minute ago, I think. But anyway, those butterflies, they used to be very, very weak, easy to squish. Uh, some of them kind of nasty. Uh, some of them deadly, right? They're, they're deadly caterpillars down in like the Amazon, you touch them, you can die, wow. right? Uh, they get eaten quickly by birds. They're not very fast. I don't think they're very smart. I don't know. <laughs> Never investigated that, but I can't imagine they're very intelligent. Uh, there, there's not much to a caterpillar. There's not much to one of those things, but they go through a process of transformation and they come out a butterfly that can fly and it's beautiful, right? That's the work that Paul tells the Corinthians God is doing in our lives as he transforms us into Christ's very likeness. Um, in 5.17 he says you're a new creation. Right? You're a new creation. The old is gone. Everything's been made new. That's who you are. That's a, a value statement. That's not a possibility. That's a value statement. So talking about value, I need a, a volunteer. And uh, I'm not just going to ask for a random volunteer. I want Jesse to come up here, okay? I'm going to be decisive. Jesse, I got a trick question for you. You like money? Yeah. <laughs> okay, how much is that? Twenty. $20. Okay, what can you do with $20? Two movies. Two movies? Oh, whale watching? Oh. If you have a 50 off ticket. Whoa. Whale watching. Oh, you got one. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Dinner. Thanks. Uh, my blueberries. Some blueberries. Uh, yeah. oh, Thirteen of them. Maya. <laughs> huh? Give it to a. Um, um, that's what I was gonna say too. <laughs> that's a that's a great great answer, right? That's a phenomenal answer. Now listen, this has some value to it, right? Why does it have value to it? It's just some paper. Why is it more valuable than this piece of paper? If I took this down to the docks, they're not going to let me on the ship. All right? <laughs> it's backed by something. Somebody declared it valuable, right? The U.S. government that has the authority to declare this valuable said it's worth something. That's why a printer printing press. <laughs> right? Okay, now uh, I want to I wanna ask you to do something. It's pretty nice and crisp, right? Okay. Uh, can you crumple that up pretty tight? Yeah, like t just squeeze it hard. You got some muscles, man. Put those muscles into that $20 bill. Okay, that bill has been through some pressure. It's been through some pain. It's been through some hardship. Now, now pull out, gently pull it back. Don't rip it in half or anything. <laughs> okay. Okay, that thing has been through some hard times. What's it worth? Still 20. Still 20, right? Well, it doesn't look like a lot of $20 bills, but what's it worth? $20. Awesome. Okay, here, let's uh, put it in some of this uh, straw here. Maybe step on it. 
I think you should Kay. let him keep that 20 for being your, your uh... <laughs> He's like, I don't know about that one yet. <laughs> okay, what, what's that worth? $20. It's kind of dusty now though, right? It's still $20. Hey, do you guys use uh, organic fertilizer in this dirt? We do. Hey, what's in organic fertilizer? Dude. Hey, let's go rub it in some of this fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> Chicken poop all the okay. way. <laughs> That's good. What's this thing worth now? $20. $20. Okay, here, sit down here, buddy. Match okay. blueberries on it. <laughs> okay, take take one of your shoes off. Okay, stick it in that shoe. Get some of that shoe smell on there. <laughs> you can wash smell like a shoe. Only... It's getting there. <laughs> there, um... <laughs> why, don't, why don't you rub it in your armpit a little bit? I know you're a Okay. All right. How much is that twenty dollar bill worth? That bill's worth. You're in that twenty. If you go down to a restaurant, are they going to say that we're not going to take it? It's not worth twenty. No. No, it's worth twenty, not because of what's happened to it. Not because of what it's been through, not because yeah. of what it's done. It's worth 20 because the U.S. government said it's worth 20. Yeah. Here's the deal. Your value is because of who you are in Christ. Amen. You're a new creation. You're his masterpiece. That's not affected by your past. It's not even going to change if you make a big mistake today. Right? Because as you walk with him and grow with him and surrender to him and confess to him, he makes you his child, and nobody can take that value away from you. And that's true about you, Jesse. I want you to keep this 20 bucks as a reminder of that. Wow. You can spend it, but it's true. Uh, you know, um, the pitch smell that bad? You, you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want that back. No. <laughs> hey, here's the deal, guys. Uh, you're all going to live with insecurities. I have so many insecurities. And there have been times in my life where they've really controlled me. Uh, Craig has told me many times in his testimony about insecurities he had in the past that controlled him. I was doing a Bible study with a bunch of guys on campus once. And one of the guys was this awesome basketball player. He'd been a division one basketball player. He got kicked out because of drugs. So he came to Fort Lewis and he was a division two basketball player. But because he'd been in division one, he was the best player on the team at Fort Lewis. He was like the, the top guy there. He was tall. He was athletic. He had his life together. He was muscular. He was good looking. He had everything, right? He came to that meeting and I said, I had asked all the guys to write down their insecurities. And he said, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I'm too insecure to write my insecurities on paper. You know, another guy on the football team, he had it all going for him. He said he was racked with insecurities. If you don't get this straight, who you are in Christ, you're going to be racked with insecurities. And they're going to determine the choices that you make and how you respond to situations. You might react in anger when you could react in peace because you're taking something as an attack that you don't need to take as an attack. You might be tempted to play it safe and not take risks so that you don't fail again, not knowing that you have the God of the universe living in you. So you have a, a chance to live with insecurities. I'm asking you today not to. And it's, it's, 
I know from my experience, you don't just flick an insecurity switch and say, I'm done with that. This is a daily process of choosing to surrender those to the Lord, to walk in His Spirit. Here's, an, here's the other side of that spec, spectrum. They've done studies with athletes where they give them uh, performance-enhancing drugs that are really just sugar pills, placebos. Whoa. And guess what happens? Whoa. Their performance skyrockets. Because <laughs> they think they're getting something that makes them a better athlete. There's a lot in their head, right? Um, my roommate in college, we used to wrestle a lot. And he was cycling like two to three hours a day and on weekends like eight hours a day he was on the cycling team and you guys ever spent time with cyclists like professionals they're skinny they're they're not big and muscular so even though i'm not huge i beat him every time right but a few years later by the time we were about to graduate he was lifting and he could lift way more than i could right but guess who still won me because he had it in his mind that I was the one that was going to win. You get it? Our minds really trap us into patterns. Right? we got to get out of those patterns. Here's the deal. If you drive on I-5 looking in your rearview mirror, what happens? Okay. you got to quit looking in the rearview mirror. you got to start looking forward. You have to take the truth of God's Word, that you're God's masterpiece, a new creation created for all that he has for you. You have to believe this is true. This isn't just a theological statement. It's the reality of your life. It's who you are today. So walk in it. And every time Satan says that's not true, you need to raise up that shield of faith and say the Bible says it is true. And I'm going to live like it is true. And I'm going to step into every day and into every relationship and into every opportunity believing it's true. Okay? I'm going to say no to those insecurities when they come up. Amen. And you know what? You're going to sin because none of you are perfect. You're going to sin. I know it. And when you do, stop living there. Don't let that take away who you are in Christ. Confess it. 1 John 1, 9 says He's faithful and just. He'll forgive you and He'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Confess it. Put it in your past and start looking forward. Remind yourself you're a new creation. Remind yourself you're a masterpiece and start going forward. You can't possibly let yourself live in that place of insecurity. You can't. So you have a master. We need to get that straight first. You are his masterpiece. And that's not just a joke. It's not just something I'm saying. It's a reality. And what did it say there, though? What did it say there? For... It's not just a masterpiece to be a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece for something. What is it? For good works that God determined beforehand that you should walk in them. God already has a plan for your life. He already has a day planner written out. <laughs> He's like Jesse, 3 o'clock. He has that for you. Now we walk in that. I don't have to make it up. I don't have to fabricate it. But when I'm in tune with His Spirit, I will walk in it. You get it? Think of it like this, that interstate right there. What what exit do you get off to get here? Los Rambles. What? Los Rambles. Los Rambles. Okay. How many of you are from outside of California? Okay. Martina, this is a good example. Martina's from Holland, okay? So let's say uh, Martina's mom and dad decide they want to visit their precious granddaughter, okay? So Martina just says, 
fly into LA and then take the Los Rambles exit. Mm. How's that gonna work? Not too good. Not too good. Why? You got to get on the interstate yeah, first, <laughs> right? You got to get on I-5 South, then take the Los Rambles exit. A lot of us walk around going, what exit do I need to take? What exit do I, what's that specific purpose? And God has one for you. I, he does, I promise. He has very specific things for you. But we're so focused on that exit, we forget about the interstate. Here's the interstate, right? He's called us to, to walk in line with his word and the power of his spirit. And as we walk, we're going to know the, the exit to get off. But this is the interstate. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how I renew my mind. Again, it uses that same metamorpho word from the Greek. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then what? Your body's sacrifice That's third. But right before that says, don't, don't, be, don't be conformed to this world. You're going to walk throughout every day with a million different distractions. Okay? Don't be conformed to them. Then present your body a living sacrifice. God, I'm yours. Mm. When I'm doing those things, that's the interstate. Okay? And in that context, he says, you'll be able to know and prove God's good and perfect will. You're going to know. You're going to know the exit he wants you to take as you walk with him in the power of his Holy Spirit. What we're celebrating today even on Pentecost. So here's the deal. You have a mission. When uh, I took Eliana to Guatemala, um, we want our kids to experience ministry. It's a strategic part of how we parent. We want them to see and be used by God. Okay, and so, but also when I was ten, I got lost in Mexico City, and it was a scary thing for me. Uh, and I don't want it to happen to my kids. Okay, so uh, I I got a little device. It's about that big. And it's called the Tracks Tracker. It's a little device, she can put it in her pocket. And uh, it costs about $75 used. And um, anyway, uh, she puts it in her pocket and guess what I can do? I can just look on my phone and I can know where she's at. So if I lose her, I can find her. It's pretty cool, right? Or if somebody snatched her, I could track her down. Uh, it's a masterpiece. I mean, just think of that technology. When I met Craig in Romania, there was nothing like this. Martina once got lost, and Craig and I had a mission to to find her. Remember this, Martina? Craig was madly in love with Martina, and he said, he told me, Nate, I will die if I don't see her beautiful face again. I'm embellishing a little bit here. Tell them about the bears that are down so we saw some ski tracks going off the back of the mountain and we said we have to we have to go down the back of the mountain and find her and so we did but we didn't find her right uh, but we found a great run that we ended up doing for years after that at the end of everyday skiing we'd go off the back of the mountain dogs would chase us at the bottom <laughs> remember that you'd be kicking thinking i don't want rabies <laughs> i don't want rabies <laughs> Then we'd get to this little village and catch a train. Okay? I wish we would have had that tracker from Martina. <laughs> uh, but this is incredible technology that didn't even exist five years ago, much less 25 years ago. And here's the deal. I get there confident in this technology, try it out. Guess what? Didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work on my phone. 
Uh, Aaron could check it out from the US, but that didn't help very much with me in Guatemala. Right. It wouldn't work. So it was a masterpiece for a purpose, but it wasn't doing its purpose. Mm. So guess what happened? It just sat in the room all week, <laughs> right? I want to encourage you, don't be a masterpiece that doesn't do its purpose. Oh. Get it? Yeah. Live out the purpose that God's put you here for. Oh, hey, God has called you Good to man. love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How does that look at the thrift store? How does that look in the orchard? How does that look in your lives? How does that look in these homes? To love your neighbor as yourself. How does that look like in all those areas? He's called you to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. That includes going, but it also includes here. Because you have people from all over the world coming here. He's also called you to take care of the widow and the orphan, right? To defend the weak and the powerless. He's also said to let your good works be so evident that the people around you would see him in and through you. And he talks to you here about those good works that he's called you to walk in. You have a purpose. You have an amazing purpose. Those are some of the general elements of it, but it will become clearer as you walk in those, what the specific exits are. I encourage you to step into it. I encourage you to, to go into it all in, 100%, holding nothing back, to say, God, I'm yours. You're my master. I'm your masterpiece. I'm doing the mission you've called me to. It's the only reason that I have to live. I'm not here to get a bigger house. I'm not here to get a nicer car. I'm not here for whatever it might be. I'm here for you and your purposes alone. I'm here for the master and his mission. That's why I live. So there's a lot there. But in Matthew 13, Jesus tells us a parable. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man that found a treasure in a field. He found some treasure, right? And in his joy, he went and sold all he had so he could purchase that field. I, I want to encourage you. There is joy in sacrificing all you have for this. There's joy in it. Uh, there's not a night I go to bed and think, man, I wish I would have stayed at my old air quality job making more money than I do now. Um, it doesn't happen. I'm so thankful that I get to serve the God of all creation in the work that he's called me to. Uh, there's joy in it. Uh, He's called you to be all in with all of his power for all of his purposes. And I want to ask you to say yes to that, to step into it. Yes. And to do that in obedience, Craig has mentioned obedience today, to say, I'm, all, I'm obeying you, Jesus, every step of the way, but I'm going to do it in your power. Right? We heard about Pentecost today, and I just want to challenge you and encourage you with something. In John 7, 37 through 39, Jesus said, that whoever believed in him, out of him would flow rivers of living water. Right, 37, 38. John clarifies he said this about the Holy Spirit whom God would give to those who believe in him. Ephesians 5.18 tells you to be filled with the Spirit. And that's not a one-off thing. The, the, the word there is to be being filled, to be keep being filled. Um, this is a daily reality for us. If I think I can make it through one day without the Holy Spirit's power, I'm toast. I need to have a daily, an hourly, a minute-by-minute -minute dependence on him. When you're getting into an argument with the, the guys in your house, right? Right then and there, I need to yield to the Holy Spirit and say, I need you to be in me what I can't be on my own. 
right? When I'm tempted to lust, I need to yield to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to give me the power to say no, right? When I'm looking at an opportunity to share my faith, I don't just muscle it up on my own and say, I'm going to try hard. I say, God, I'm yours. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me, speak through me. I'm yours. I surrender to you. I yield to you. I'm yours. That's a command, Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit. What does 1 John 5.14 tell us? Anybody remember? First John 5.14. Did he turn in there? Built it out. I'm almost done here. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Other translations would say anything that, that, that whatever we ask according to his will is ours, right? Is it God's will that you would be filled with his spirit? Is that his will? Yeah. If you pray anything in line with his will, what will he do? Give it to you. You think you're ever going to say, God, I ask you to fill me and empower me with your spirit. I, I yearn to have your spirit being in control of my life to do what only you can do, to say what only you can say. Do you think you could ever pray a prayer like that and get an answer from God that says, I don't think so? That's his will. That's his will, and he will do what his will is when you ask him. So I encourage you, don't take what I've said and just say, I need to do it. I need to try harder. Hey, where did trying harder get you guys in the past? Okay, so stop trying harder and just submit to the Lord. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Ask Him. Yield to Him. Rely on Him. And allow Him to live His life through you. And step into opportunities by faith, trusting He will do what you can't. You might think, this is impossible. I can't do this. But you know what? I'm just going to step into it and say yes, and I'm going to trust that he's going to show up with the everything I need when I get there. Okay? I'm going to ask you to do that. Now, here's the deal. You've been called. You've been created for this these good works that he's called you to. And I'm asking you to acknowledge the master, realize your masterpiece, and step into the mission. And you have a choice to say yes or no to that. You could say, yeah, I'm all in, or you could say, not really. I think if you say not really, you're making one of the biggest blunders in human history. Can I tell you about a guy that blew a hundred billion dollars? hundred billion. You heard this story? You guys ever heard the name Ronald Wayne? Ever hear that name, Ronald Wayne? His net worth right now is about $400,000. means he's got about a house that's paid off, which that's better than nothing, right? but it's probably nothing to brag about. You probably have never heard of him, but he was one of the three co-founders of Apple. Wayne, Ronald Wayne. He started it with Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. He had a 10% share in Apple, which today Apple's worth about a trillion dollars, right? So that's about a hundred billion dollar share in Apple, if he had that today. 12 days after launching Apple, he sold his entire share in the company for $800. Many people have called it the worst financial mistake in human history. (laughs) Isn't that nuts? Uh, A year later, he had a chance to sell a little bit more, including any right he would ever have to any financial stake whatsoever in Apple. A year later, he could have 
He could have redeemed a little bit of his mistakes, but he sold any right he would ever have to any financial stake ever in Apple for another $1,500. <laughs> so for $2,300, which is about maybe two weeks rent in Dana Point, <laughs> for about $2,300, he sold a 10% share in Apple. Smart decision? No. Absolutely horrible, stupid, worst financial mistake in human history kind of decision. Right? They still interview him about once a year. You might catch an interview with him every once in a while. How does it feel knowing that you sold your 10% share in Apple? <laughs> okay, here's the deal. I assure you that walking away from this talk and saying, I'm not all in on the mission is the worst mistake than that. Okay? And I don't want you to do it. Uh, God has called you to be his son and to walk in an awesome life of meaning and purpose. And I want to encourage you to do that, to be all in, to follow him wholeheartedly, to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to walk in the power of his spirit, and to say yes. Yes, Lord, to the mission. Yes, Lord, to the purpose. To be faithful with the little steps he's called you to today, knowing that in his time and in his way, he will give you the next steps. Not pushing doors down to get there, but trusting him and then stepping into it as he leads. That's all I have for you. Follow him as master, live as his masterpiece, and step into that mission.